And it is a good morning, and I'm glad that you are here. Glad to, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be alive. When you look around and you see some of the things going on, you're always, I think we ought to always be thankful just to be where we are. God's blessed us. He's given us a lot. Now, we're just about to start a new year. Later this week, we'll launch into a new calendar year. And that's the time when we stop and we reflect on a few things. And so I'll give you the title of the lesson today and, and an interesting passage, I think, to draw it from. The time has come. That's the title of the lesson. The time has come. Now, don't get that wrong. <laughs> that doesn't necessarily mean that your time is up. But I think we need to reflect on something like that. So I'd invite you to, to read with me or listen to the reading from 1 Peter chapter 4. When I came across this passage, I thought that's a good passage. And it's not necessarily one I would have associated this way, but I think it has a great message in it in that regard. Notice what Peter says, beginning in verse 16, 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 16. He says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come. Oh, that's a good title for a lesson. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if he begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteousness, I mean, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore... Let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. I thought about that passage quite a bit. And you kind of have to transfer a few things to think about in that regard when you think about it. But when we get in the midst of a year, sometimes we're challenged. And maybe we want to get a little bit lazy, or maybe we wonder why in the world certain things are happening to us and not necessarily happening to everybody else. And so you get into this point. But I want us to keep in mind we are talking about a point of appointment, if you will. A point of appointment, a time. As Peter says, the time has come. He's talking about there is an awakening, there's a time, there's an awareness, there's something that we need to consider very carefully here. And he's writing to Christians about their lives. So here we are, and we transfer this to the ending of a year, the beginning of a year, and we say the time has come. And with that, I thought, you know, I don't know that anybody wants to delay the end of this year and the beginning of next year all that much. But sometimes when we're not quite ready for something, we want to put it off. And that reminded me, did you hear about the procrastinators meeting? It was scheduled for tomorrow, but they decided to put it off until later. Okay, now that you're relaxed and you think about that, sometimes we're not quite ready for those appointments, are we? And, uh, you know, if, if I were writing instead of Paul, I wouldn't call myself the chief of sinners, but in much of my life I've been the chief of procrastinators, you know. Put that off as long as possible, and then maybe we won't have to deal with it. Uh, I knew a lady always hoped that that would happen with the dishes in the sink, but so far I don't think it's worked out very well. But when we think about those appointments, and we can't put them off, we can't change the beginning of a year. These are things, and I know it's a calendar, but we get that in mind. We understand there is something significant about it in our thinking and so forth. But I'm reminded that there are, there are given to us that, that statement from time to time that there are only two certainties in life. You know what they say? 
There are only two certainties. But I'm not sure those two considered things are really the limit. When you stop and think about it, are those really the only certainties that there are in life? And I'm talking about death and taxes. Don't want to remind you of either one, but certainly. They are very real. But most certainly there's a time limit on almost everything but God. For any number of generations, there have been those people who predicted the end of all things, the time limit of the world. The world's going to end. It's going to end. And there have been those cartoons that you could read from time to time, always the guy standing on the street corner, the world will end tomorrow. Well, so far it hasn't happened. Do I know when it's going to end? No, I don't know what this next year is going to bring. I mean, you know, I can't tell you what 2021 is going to bring us. I had a friend wrote me and said, the one thing we can be certain, when we look backward, we'll see 2020. That's when you look backward, you have 2020 vision. I didn't understand the joke for a minute, but there it is. It's, it's very real. But for any number of generations, been those who predicted the end of the world. Some of them today think more in terms of we're going to destroy it by the way we live, or we're going to destroy it by war. There have been those, though, that have taken the the Bible and have calculated numbers and prophecies and put them together and say, the world's going to end at a certain date. 1914 was one of those those times. And there have been several others. We've had some in more recent days. And there were certain groups that would prepare themselves for it. There have been whole groups that went to a hillside in Arkansas, some of them climbing up in trees, hoping that they would get away even more quickly. There have been those that took, uh, uh, well, poison in order to end their lives and prepare themselves for the end of the world and for the Lord to take them away. If such was the case, they may not have considered it the Lord as we did, but for the end of the world and things were coming. And we can hear all those prophecies and all those predictions of things. And so we think we got to get ready. The end is coming. The end is coming. Let's all get ready for those things. But you know, all those past predictors, all those past predictions and those who predicted have one thing in common. They were wrong. They were wrong. I tend to hold, I tend to hold to the thief in the night teaching. Pretty biblical, isn't it? Where I will come as a thief in the night. But there is a a point that I want to hold on to in all this, though. There is a point I want to hold on to. And the point is time does come to an end. There are points of reference. We can say that. As in with the old television soap opera days of our lives, and the picture of that hourglass, there's only so much sand in the glass, and once it flows through the narrow, it runs out. That's it. I know the hourglass you can turn over. We don't know what God's going to do, but I have a true belief that the scriptures are plain in saying that these things will come to an end. Peter writes about it, seeing all these things will be dissolved, talking about this world and all the things in it. He's talking about an end of time. So when all the sand has passed through the hourglass and all the days of our lives are gone, we realize that the, pardon the word, time has come. And that's what Peter says. So here we are at the precipice of an ending and a beginning. It may not be the end of all time, 
that remains to be seen, I guess, but probably, maybe not. But it is a time of challenging consideration for you and for me of what has been done and what has not been done. As we look back at the year that we have lived or the years that we have lived and brought us to this point, we can look at things that we have done, some that we're happy we've done, proud of our works. There are also those things that we look at and we wonder, man, I didn't do that well, or I didn't do it right. And there are even those that we look at and say, man, I wish I had done that and taken care of that. But more than looking back, even more than looking backward, it is a time of looking forward to what is yet ahead. And I'll be the first to tell you, I don't No, I don't begin to comprehend what another year will bring. Did any of us see this year being what it has been? Could we have seen the turmoil and the turbulence? Could we have seen the illness and the pandemic? I I don't think we would even have begun to imagine it. Even when things began, we thought, well, this will be here. It'll be gone and it'll be done. We wouldn't have seen things being as they are. So how can we imagine what the next year is going to bring? But what we can see, what we can see is that whatever we find in this year. We can find it with God. We can find it with his leadership. We can find it with his son. Evidently Solomon wrote, if he wrote the Ecclesiastes as we think he did, he wrote in chapter 3 in that familiar phraseology to everything there is a season and time for every purpose under heaven. And so there is then a time to stop and a time to go. You know, it can be hard to know exactly what an appointed time really means. You say, here's the time. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean we put off? Does it mean we get ready? Does it mean we finish? Does it mean we wait? Does it mean we leave? Does it mean we stay? Does it mean we keep going? What does it exactly mean? Is it a point of encouragement or is it a point of discouragement? But it's still a reference of time, and we think about time quite regularly. We check time all the time. A lot of you have got it, you're wearing it on your wrist, aren't you? And if it's not on your wrist, it's in your pocket, and you pull it out. And you love it on the wall, and there's one right here, and it's right. It's been wrong for weeks. You wondered why the preaching was going on for so long. But we check time all the time. You want to right now, don't you? <laughs> you know what I mean, don't you? What time is it? What time is it? Does anybody really know what time? I don't know. It doesn't really matter. We are accustomed, though, to the reason for that is we're accustomed to dealing with setups and phrases and, and, and appointments and dealing with time and deadlines. Unless you work for the government. But seriously, almost every aspect of our lives is tied to some sort of time frame with a beginning, a time in the middle, and an end. Perhaps the greatest testimony of time to each of us is the human life. A human life is a great testimony of time. We see the beginning and we see the end. And the most part, we see the middle. From birth, we are facing deadlines and a deadline. Somebody says, from the time we are born, we begin to die. 
I don't like to put it exactly that way, but we are appointed toward that. And isn't that what the writer of Hebrews says? It is appointed unto man, you got it, wants to die. We know the direction we're facing. Short of the Lord coming and taking us away, we, we will live in this world for a period of time. We don't know exactly how long, and then we will be gone. Moses wrote of that threescore years and ten, that 70 years. But you know, he actually lived to be 120. Easy for him to talk about a man's lifespan being 70, and if by power of strength or, or strength then being 80 years, but he lived 40 years beyond that. 120 years, but regardless, whether it's 70, 80, 120 years, it is still a limited time frame. What we are reminded, and perhaps Solomon best helps remind us, again in Ecclesiastes, in chapter 9 and verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, because there's a grave coming, and from there you don't do anything. Those are not his exact words, but that's what he says. So a human life is a great testimony of time and deadlines and limitations that are there. And once it is past, we get past certain times, we say, man, I wish I'd taken advantage of that time. And when it's missed, there's kind of a sorrow that's there when it's missed. There's a phrase we use. About baseball, it's called, we say, the boys of summer. Been books, music written about it. It's generally a reference to baseball and the boys or the men who play the game because it's largely done in the summertime. But when the season is over, there is kind of an emptiness and a loss when the season ends. And to that end, the Eagles' Don Henley sang a song in 1984, The Boys of Summer. And use that theme, that sense of loss that, that pervades that song. And perhaps the most poignant, the poignant line in that song states simply, Don't look back. You can never look back. What it means is we're not going to get that again. The boys of summer. And isn't it intriguing? We tend to look at our lives that way. Limited as it may be, we look at life as, as something that is viewed in seasons. Say he's in the springtime of his life. Oh, she's in the autumn of her life. And we think about the winter as that approaching end of life. And, and as I was thinking about that this week, now, have you ever thought about this? No. Your brain's probably not quite as warped as mine in some of these things. But I thought, wh when do we begin our year and when do we end our year? We ended about the beginning of winter, and we begin our lives the beginning of winter, kind of. Well, we begin the year, I mean, the beginning of winter. We don't look at our lives that way, but that's what we do. Why in the world don't we begin the year in the spring? Wouldn't it be a lot more fun? Let's move the beginning of the year to spring. I guess I'm not going to get a lot of cooperation in that in calendars and so forth, but, but why not end the year in winter? Say, oh, it's dead, let's get rid of that, and let's go to springtime. I like that better anyway, but it's kind of intriguing to me, but we do associate life in seasons, and we, we anticipate the finalities and the ending of it as we approach that. We recognize that, and as morbid as that may seem, it is the reality in which we live. So with all of that, all of that in mind, as I lay all that out before you, we come back to Peter's phrase. The time has come. 
The time has come. It wasn't the end of the world, as he wrote. He was dealing with some pe- writing to some people who were dealing with some real struggles in life. And he said, if you're suffering rightly, you know, then it can be a reason to, you know, look to God and, and do so in a good way and honor God and so forth. But the time is coming. If we are fortunate in our lives and we live long enough in our lives, we meet a lot of deadlines. We meet some deadlines long before we meet the big deadline. If we're fortunate, we have a lot of them along the way. From the time we're children through our, our youth and our adulthood and even the latter stages of our lives. And you think about how many deadlines and how many appointments that you meet in your life with schools, with jobs, professions, with, with taxes. Nobody wants to hear about that. There are so many set times that we have and appointments that we meet and things that we have to do in, in, in almost the trivial things of life and in the larger things of life. And we look at these, these appointments and these times and we, we reach those points. And sometimes they're, they kind of get there whether we want them to or not. Remember the procrastinators? They want to put it off. Some of them come. Most of them do. Come whether we want them or not. Whether we're ready or not. It's kind of like when a, when a baby is born, there's no delaying the moment. When that baby wants to be born, that baby's going to be born. I don't care whether it's, it's 5.12 in the morning or not. That baby's going to be born. And that's startling to a young couple, 5.12 in the morning. Why don't they do it at, at a decent hour? That's reality, isn't it? Ready or not, here I come. And babies make their way into the world, don't they? And as I said, of course, death is a definite deadline. Even if we don't know really when it's going to arrive, we recognize that it is appointed and a man wants to die. We understand the writing there. We see them of old. We see those who came, even those who lived six, eight, nine hundred plus years. There was still an appointment from the earliest days from Adam and Eve on. Death has made its way. And that's what Paul writes about in the Romans, doesn't he? Death reigned. It's the reality. And it's still a reality in which we live. But as life progresses and we see the development, we sometimes lose track of certain things. It's kind of like Bob Seger wrote in his song, Deadlines and Commitments, what to leave in, what to leave out. But as we look at it, we recognize some of them we recognize and we do and we put on and we do we do what we're supposed to do sometimes we think I don't need to mess with that and it we don't so what does all this say when we look at Peter's words what does it say to us Russ it's not the end of time evidently it doesn't seem like it yet I guess it might be later today it might be before the year is out it might be in the year 21 2021 I understand that But what we can draw from this for certainty today is we find ourselves as one of those small but important points, deadlines, if you will, of the new year. There's no avoiding it. The calendar will move forward. Time is in its flow. So what can I do for you today? Let me just give you a few things to consider. If you look at what Peter has to write here and what he says... 
He wants them to examine how well have you handled the challenges in your life. Look how honorably, look at the way that you've dealt with things. If we look at the year 2020, how, in the, how have we handled what we have done? How have we looked at what's there? Have we gone to our corner and cried? Have we just run and hidden? Have we just closed our eyes? Have we just said, oh, Lord, please take it away and, and done nothing about it? Look at how you've lived your life in the last year in the midst of the challenges that we've faced this year. And there's a question I want to ask you. Do you see Christ in you? Not does somebody else see Christ in you. I think it's important that you look at yourself and you say, do I see Christ in me? We know Paul's words in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Do I look at my life in the last year and do I see Christ in me? Do you see Christ in you? That's an important question as we look at our lives and whether we have honorably handled the challenges that we have faced in our lives. We may not like everything that's come our way. We may not like what it's done to our society. We may not like everything that's going on, and we may not agree with much of it, but still, how honorably have we conducted ourselves? And so as we go forward into a new year, we need to look and say, I want to live honorably before God, that others and I, might see Christ in me. And secondly, we can find a certain amount of consolation, but it's really not about consolation as much as it is about cooperation. That judgment is common to all. If judgment begins in the household of faith, what about others? They're going to be under judgment as well, he says. Judgment is common to all people. The key to it always is preparation. Jesus spent a lot of time, especially in the latter part of his ministry and the stories that he would tell about being prepared, whether it was the wise and foolish virgins or, or those who were given certain talents or the servant who was waiting for his master to come home or whoever, in whatever story it was, the key was preparation in those things. And of all people who took it to heart and stated it perhaps more, I don't think any more plainly or more clearly than did Paul. In that great statement in 2 Timothy 4, he talked about in verse 6, I'm being poured out. In verse 7, in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. And 8, I fought a good fight, I finished the course. And I have kept the faith. I fought the fight, and I kept running the race. And therefore there is a crown of righteousness laid up for me. He said that the Lord, the righteous judge, would give to him and to all those who had done as he has done. Judgment is common to us all. It is a reason. And when we face trial, when we face judgment, that's why James could say it. That's why Peter says it here. It is a reason to celebrate and glorify God as we put into that trial of judgment in whatever small or large it might be. We shouldn't fear to go before God. The writer of Hebrews says we can go boldly before the throne of grace. To find help in a time of need. So judgment is common to us all. Thirdly, mercy is very real. And there is no way to fully describe the mercy of our Lord and our God and how great it is. Mercy is real, but it is not an excuse. It is not an excuse. It is not something in which we can pretend if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear, he says in verse 18. It's real. It's not an excuse. You don't go before God and say, oh, I'm sorry. I just didn't know any better. Please let it go. 
Consider the one-talent man in the story in Matthew 25. The others had come, and they had doubled what the Lord had left with them. They had worked hard. But the one-talent man came back and says, Lord, I was afraid. I was scared. I knew how hard a man you were. You, you reaped where you didn't sow and so forth, and you had great expectations. And I felt like I just couldn't measure up to your expectations, Lord. I just couldn't do it. So I took your talent. I went and buried it in the ground, and now I brought it back, and here's your talent. It is kind of an apology. It is a pleading for mercy. It is a, a sense of, Lord, I just couldn't measure up, so you've got to please grant me some mercy in this. And the Lord responds, cast him out. Tough. Mercy is real, but it is not to be used as an excuse. I think that's what Paul was getting at in Romans 6, wasn't it? Leaning upon the grace of the mercy of God. He said, shall we continue in sin? No. Die to that and live to Christ. Mercy is real, but it is not an excuse. And fourthly, humility beats arrogance any time. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. It's to a faithful creator. Humility beats arrogance any time. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and what will he do? You know what it says? Lift you up. Exactly. Know the reason. Know the reason for what you do. And know the one for whom you are giving your efforts. That was Paul's example, wasn't it? I don't count myself to have apprehended, he said. There's one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind. I look forward to the things that are ahead. I press on to the goal. He's looking for the attainment unto the resurrection. He says, not that I'm already there, but I look forward to that. If I might be able to get there. Humility beats arrogance every time. When we know who we belong to, who we serve in every way. So there are four things. Look at your life and how honorable it is as you handle the challenges. Recognize that others are dealing with the same thing and you can share that common load. Look to the mercy of God because of our imperfection. All have sinned and all do sin and fall short of the glory of God. But it is not intended to be an excuse. And fourth, be humble. Because that's going to be being puffed up any time. So let me leave you with this thought. A year is just a year. I understand that. Just calendar, mark on the calendar. We come to the end of December. We, we jump on to January. Here we are at the, early in the winter time of the year. It is kind of the noting of the ending of the one and the beginning of another. And that is something. And it is maybe an arbitrary reference point. But all things considered... We have to consider that it is a very valuable point in time. When we face the past, we stand in our present, and we look to our future. It doesn't have to be the first of the year. It could be any time, but why not now? That sounds like it'd be a good song, doesn't it? We've been through an unusual and tough year, I think. Now, there have been people who have been through a lot worse. But we've been through an unusual and tough year. And as we face the moment, we examine ourselves. We examine our faith. 
We look at what we have gained. We even look at what we have lost or not gained. But if we are wise, we look to ourselves and to God, to our potential future. And when we lay our dependence on God, we will step boldly from this time. Step boldly to the future. And I don't mean to be trite to say, yes, we're going where no one's gone before, but we can go boldly there with God. This morning we are going to sing again a song of encouragement and invitation. Maybe there is someone even here this morning who needs to respond. If you do, let this be an invitation to you. Things are in readiness. All you need to do is come. If you need the prayers of the church or whatever you might need, if you need to, please take advantage of the opportunity to come home.